I hunger for more of you, Lord. I hunger for growth. I hunger to see the goodness of God right here in the land of the living. I am hungry. Well, this morning we're going to continue on in our series on hunger. And I just said during that confession, I hunger for growth. You know, a lot of people don't actually hunger for growth. They hunger for comfort. And growth isn't always comfortable. But as I was saying last week, I believe that this is a year of healing for many in the body of Christ. Whether it be physical healing, whether it be emotional healing, spiritual healing. But we often look when we're talking about healing or we have a problem. It's like God fix the problem or make the problem go away. You know, if the problem goes away, it'll still be the same you. You'll be the same you that allowed yourself to get into that problem. Come on, you'll be the same you that was open to be hurt in that way. But when we go before God, God doesn't just fix the problem. He grows us so that our capacity to handle the blows of this world increases. And we're just like, nope, I'm just going to dust that off because I got my shield of faith right out in front of me. It's going to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so I hunger for growth. Go ahead and say that again with me. I hunger for growth. And so for this series, we're going to be basing our, with this week number three, and we're finally just getting to the scripture that we're basing this out of, and that is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, where it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. It says, blessed are those who hunger. You know, we often have a negative view of hunger. You know, like, oh, if I'm hungry, there's something wrong. No, hunger is natural. Hunger is a warning signal saying, I need to come back to the table. And when we talk about hunger, automatically we begin to think about food. <laughs> and when, we were ta when I was telling the leaders that this is a direction we were going in in this first section of the year, they're like, man, people are just going to start thinking about what happened for lunch. You know, that pot roast that's in the oven or whatever. Or can I get to McDonald's before the crowd? And, you know, no, when we talk about hunger, hunger is not just about food. Yeah. Hunger is not consumption. Hunger is what brings you to the table. Mom, think about this in, the, in one of the most famous psalms that David wrote, was you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God prepares a table before you in your hardest times. But you know what? He doesn't make you come to the table, but we can stir up hunger to say, I want to be at the table of the Lord. And he says that he prepares the table before us in the presence of our enemies. How do we normally feel when we're in the presence of our enemies? We're usually a little bit apprehensive. We're not, we're not at ease. We're on edge. We're like, okay, what are they going to do? How am I going to have to respond? You know, if you think about your biggest trial standing in front of you, you generally aren't like, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. But here what God is saying is that when you're in those moments, he's spread out a table for you to partake from so that you can sit back at rest and have what you need even in your most darkest times. Come on. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And the next part, he says, you anoint my head with oil. When you come before the God, for God, you want to know what the picture of anointing someone's head with oil? 
when they would anoint a new king or put someone into their place, they would anoint them with oil. There are commissionings and purpose that you will only find when you're at the table of the master. There are things that will all of a sudden come alive on the inside of you when you're before God. You're like, I never thought that I would ever want to do that, but there's now a drive and a hunger on the inside of me to do it. There's things that will only come alive in you when you're with God. And the longer we stay away from God, it seems like our purpose and the dreams God have, get, have given us begin to die. But when you stand in the presence of God, when you sit at the table and you come to partake with the master, oh, they come alive and that fire begins to burn stronger than it ever was in the past. And you begin to have new dreams. And man, there's just such vision that will come alive in you while you're at the table of the Lord and so hunger isn't about the food it's the drive that brings you to the table and we have to examine our lives and we if if where there's not a drive for us to want to be with the father we have to ask ourselves what happened to my hunger what happened to my hunger because what we, if we want to keep the analogy, food would be like spending time in your word or spending time in prayer or whatever. But if you never make it to that point, there's a problem. A hunger has died. And so hunger is not about consumption. It's a drive that brings you to the table. Say, I'm running to the table. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21, it's, this is a story of Jesus. He says, then Jesus went out from there, and he departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So here we have a woman who is in need. She's been going through a situation in her life. Her daughter is demon-possessed. And we just kind of get the idea and the way that this story lays out that she's hit a place of desperation. She doesn't know what to do from beyond here. So she's doing the only thing she knows to do, and that's running to Jesus because of something she probably heard about him. Maybe someone's been telling stories about, we saw this guy. He's laying hands on the sick with a seeing recover. When he speaks, there's something that just stirs on the inside of us. We don't know how she heard about Jesus, but we obviously know that she did because something drove her to seek him out. And so she's desperate. And she comes to the father, and she tells him the situation, and his answer is not what you would expect. It says, he answered her not a word. And sometimes we take the silence that we feel as though God doesn't want to get involved. Silence is not an indicator that God's not present. But sometimes it's an indicator for us to press in a little bit deeper. And not let our need be the drive, but our desire to be with him become it. And so the disciples came and urged him, saying, get rid of her, send her away, for she cries out after us. Which tells us something, him being quiet was not enough to deter her. Whoo, come on. She didn't say, oh, I guess he doesn't want to talk to me. No, it says she keeps crying out after us. She's saying, Jesus, where's your drive for him? Jesus, I'm coming. 
And finally he answers and he's, and he's truthful in what he says. He says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. At this point of his ministry, he's been sent to the nation of Israel. And in order for it to spread to the world, they have to reject him. And he knows they're going to do it, but he still has to give them first choice because of the covenant that he had with them. And so she comes and he says, I wasn't sent to you. But she came and she worshipped him anyways. It did not deter her. There was a drive to be at Jesus' feet that she could receive only that she could get from him. And he said, Lord, she said, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it at the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She said, I don't even have to have a seat at the table. I know what falls, the excess, the overflow of God is enough. Come on. We often view God from a, from a position of, I have this great need, and if I could only you know, twist his arm enough, he would fill it. And here, this, this, this Gentile understood that even the scraps of the table were more than enough to meet this need. And you've got a seat at the table. Where's your drive to come to the table of the master? Verse 28, and Jesus says to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus didn't have to go lay hands on her. He didn't have to speak to the demon to come out of her. Her faith and her hunger for the master's table filled the need from a distance. So hunger is not about food. Hunger is a drive that leads us to pursue something. You know, we often talk about sports teams and they say, oh, that team's hungry. What does it mean? That means they're going to outwork everyone else. That when they get out on the, on the field or the court or on the ice or whatever sport it is you like, when they get on that out to play the game, they're going to give it their all. They're going to pursue it harder than anybody else. If the team is also hungry, they're going to let their hunger rise up to overcome theirs. So we got to think about this when, when we ask, are you hungry for the things of God? What is it that you would not do? Come on, when you want something, you go after it. Someone who's not hungry doesn't get off the couch and open the refrigerator. Someone who is not hungry doesn't pull out the cooking utensils and begin to prepare a meal. Someone who is a hu not hungry sits back. Oh, but when you are hungry, you come running. Just a few weeks ago, the boys had spent all afternoon outside playing, and, you know, it had been like four or five hours they'd been out at that point, right, Robin? And Montgomery comes just flying through the door, doesn't say anything, he just comes right to mom, and he goes, I want two eggs and a cheese string. <laughs> and she's like, whoa, 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 slow down, get the pan out, and let's do some cooking. There was a hunger that was on the inside of him that made him come running. I don't want to stay outside anymore, Mom. I don't want to have any of the pleasantries. I'm coming in, and I'm telling you, I'm hungry. I want two eggs, and I want a cheese string. 
You know, God has no problem when you get in that. When you come before him, God, here's what I need. I'm hungry for more of you. Man, he's just like Montgomery had no problem coming to mama and saying, this is what I want, this is what I need, and I know you're going to do it for me. God has no problem with you running to the throne room, coming right down, jumping up on his lap and saying, God, here's what I need. I'm hungry. I want more of you. Come on, there was a hunger on the inside of him. Is there a hunger on the inside of you? Hunger is a drive that will lead you to pursue something. And it can be stirred. You know, when you think about sports teams, when, they're, when they start to work on their, 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 all their different skills and stuff like that, the more they do it, the hungrier they get for it. They're like, man, everything's starting to click. When I pass the puck, he's right where he needs to be. When the ball gets hiked, he gets right to that. He knows the route that he needs to run. And as they continue to do it, it's like, man, we can win. We can do this. We can get this. We're going to go all the way to the end. And the more you rehearse the hunger, the hungry you get. Come on, even with food, it's the same way. Do you realize that when you watch TV, like 50% of the commercials they show you are food? And you may not have been hungry when you turned on your favorite show, but within 10 minutes, you're like, maybe I need a snack out of the fridge. Why? Because you're seeing all these pictures of these, like, shining burgers, and they pan across them so nice, and the fries are so laid out perfectly. Man, the more you saw it, the hungrier you got. The more you come to the table, the more you're going to find yourself wanting to come back to the table. Whew. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, you want to come back for a little bit more tasting. Amen? So hunger is a drive that leads us to pursue something. It is an emptiness to be filled that drives us to faith and action. Whoo! You know, David... David had a way with words, and that's why he liked to write poetry. He'd write music. And in Psalm 63, he's speaking out of his heart longing, and he says, Oh God, you are my God, and early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh longs for you, or my flesh is hungry for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. David's saying, the way that I feel about you, God, and the drive that's on the inside of me, it's like I'm in the middle of the desert and you're the water that I need. And guess what? It's not just a pretty picture. You live in a desert and God is the oasis. And so David describes this longing on the inside and this hunger and this thirst. And he didn't just leave it as a hunger. He says in the next verse, So, because of the hunger, because of the thirst that I have, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary. It brought him to the table to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. Come on, that's that's enough to shout right there. While I live. Too many people are waiting for the blessings of heaven in heaven when Jesus said, here's what I pray, my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Man, you don't have to to bless him when you're dead. Come on. You don't have to bless him when you're dead. You can bless him right now. I will lift up my hands in your name. In verse 5, he says, 
My soul shall be satisfied with the marrow and the fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. So there was a hunger in David. And he said, because of that hunger, here's what I'm going to do. And because of what he did in responding to that hunger, he was satisfied. Hunger is a good thing. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Everyone say shall. shall. That is a definite article. It's not a maybe, might, coulda, shoulda, woulda, maybe. It's a you will. When there's a hunger on the inside of you, God will fill it. But in order to understand this verse here in Matthew chapter 5, we have to understand what's going on around it and the greater context. Because this verse here in Matthew 5, 6 is in the middle of one of Jesus' most famous sermons, and that's the Beatitudes. And so if we understand the overall arcing theme of what he's saying, it'll lead to greater understanding about this verse. So let's back up to verse 1. You ready? Verse 1, he says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this is where he starts. When Luke says that is, his, is retelling the Beatitudes, Luke just says, blessed are the poor, which seems like such an odd statement to make. Why would you say somebody is poor is blessed? And we have to understand a little bit more about this word blessed. The word blessed he's using here isn't the one that we normally use, which would be empowered to prosper. No, the word that's used here for blessed means to be happy, or fortunate, or well-off, or supremely blessed. Why would you say, happy are the poor? My understanding of the poor is most of them aren't very happy because they look at what they don't have, and they're like, man, my life is miserable. If I only had this, everything would be better. Why would Jesus start off a message by saying, happy and well-off and fortunate and supremely blessed are the poor, whether it be poor in spirit, poor emotionally, poor physically, poor financially, whatever it is, why would that person be happy? And I've never heard a single verse that connects the next part of it. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the way I've heard this preached is that they may not be happy here on earth, but they'll be happy one day when they're in heaven and there is no shortage. They'll just be happy, blissful, and it'll be great because they'll be with Jesus forevermore. Oh, in the sweet by and by. That's not what he said, though. He said, for theirs is, not theirs will be. He said, theirs is. So there's something going on here in this verse. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit or whatever the poverty might be, he says, all heaven is standing at your disposal. That's why you can be happy in the midst of a trial. Whatever you need is standing right there. What does God not have? What is heaven not filled with? So when he says, blessed are the poor, or happy are the poor, he's saying, 
they can be happy because no matter how they feel right now, I'm here to fill whatever that need is. This is a verse of provision, not a verse of suck it up, it'll be okay in the end. Come on. You know, the history is filled with rags to riches stories because they let didn't let the poverty become their mentality and get stuck on the inside. They saw a root out. And a lot of people will kind of convince you to sit back and say, well, this is just my lot. Yes, but this is just my God. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, next verse. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Think about this. We don't just mourn the loss of people. We often mourn the loss of opportunities in our lives. We mourn the loss of dreams that used to be alive, but we've allowed the fire to die. And it says when you're mourning, you shall be comforted. When you have a feeling of loss, whatever that loss may be, the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is there to put his arm right around you and be like, it's going to be okay. Let's go back to the last verse. Because blessed are the poor, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you need is at your disposal. And so if it's a feeling of loss, it doesn't change that you've lost something, but he'll comfort you through it as you move on. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, when we think about meek, we think about it as, you know, the, the quiet little church mouse, you know, sits off in the quiet, like wouldn't say a word to anybody, you know. They're just the quiet, the person. You know what meek means? Meek means the gentle of spirit. And you know, what this world needs is a few more people that are gentle of spirit. You know, we, we like to, to uh, um, glorify the tenacious and the ones that are like, I'm going to come through whether or not you want me to or not. But we need some more people that are gentle of spirit. Just think about this. I am glad that a surgeon has a soft touch and uses a scalpel rather than a machete and a big swing. <laughs> the world needs some more meek people. People who are gentle in a situation because their gentleness will lead to healing for those people rather than their destruction. Here's something that when we look up the word meek, here's a little definition that they put in there with it. It says, meekness towards God is the disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. I think that's a good definition of it, meek. Meekness is that we look at him and we accept his dealings with us as good. That's a good place to start for everything. God's dealings with you are good. And therefore, we accept them without disputing and resisting. You don't need to have an argument with God. You don't need to be in resistance to him. You just have to understand he's good. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father which has no shadow of turning. We need to stop resisting that and say, well, maybe God, maybe he has just has something else in mind for me, you know. You know, it all works together in the end. No, he's good right now. His dealings with you are good. 
It says in the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. You know, bad stuff's going to happen along the way. You don't have to defend against injustice. The view of the meek from the Old Testament was that, that's okay, God's got me. Come on. What happened to the verse that said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord? Most people are like, no, I want vengeance to be mine because I want the satisfaction of seeing them suffer. Come on. That's not a meek heart. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all, which I think is a great perspective because if we're more God-focused, we end up with more God ideas and God thoughts and God processes in our lives. When we're self-focused, we end up with more of us. You know, I don't remember the movie. You've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting. <laughs> you know, you need to get to that position in your life that I'd rather have more of God than more of me. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit and not of the human will, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, where meekness is a gift, a fruit of the Spirit. It grows out of one who has spent time at the table of the master. Then we find our verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Next verse says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is interesting, because when you sow mercy, what do you get back? Mercy. Oh, if you want mercy in your life, you want people to be merciful to you, Let's start showing mercy to others around us. I always say the same thing with encouragement. If you're feeling like you, no, no one's encouraged you lately, encourage someone else. Pastor Wendy already said it at the start of the ver- service that before you leave today, find three people, say three good things about them. Sow some goodness into the lives of those around you. Pay a compliment to one of your coworkers some days. Rather than being like, man, I'm, I don't, I'm so not looking forward to having to spend the entire day in the office with them. Why don't you come in and set the tone and sow what is needed in the situation? You need love, sow love. You need mercy, sow mercy. You need joy, sow joy. You need encouragement, sow encouragement. Because the kingdom of heaven is established on seed time and harvest. Just as God sowed Jesus so he could reap you, go ahead and sow in your life. You know, in, in uh, the book of Luke, right as we're going through the Beatitudes, he has a longer rendering of it. And after he finishes all these Beatitudes, he says this, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back unto you. We often use that as an offering scripture, but it's not. It's part of the Beatitudes sermon. He's saying if you want to see certain things in your life, go ahead and be the example of what you would like to see. You know, we've, we've known this for a long time. We call it the golden rule. Do unto others as we would have them do unto you. And so sow of mercy and you'll reap mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want everyone to say this with me. Righteousness' sake. There's a lot of Christians today screaming persecution when they're not being persecuted for righteousness' sake. They're being persecuted for their own bad decisions and their own bad choices. And they're saying, the world is being mean to me. And you're like, you were being a jerk to them first. Come on. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. For then theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Same thing he said to the poor. Because what happens when you're persecuted? Often things are taken away from your life forcefully. And you're like, I don't want to be persecuted, God. I don't want to lose the things I have. Well, then you find yourself right back at stage number one, and heaven's at your disposal. Oh, come on. It doesn't matter what they take from you. Heaven hasn't left you. It doesn't matter what you've lost. He'll comfort you through the morning of it. And so this entire list is cyclical. Next verse says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all things, kinds of things evil against you falsely. Everyone say this, for my sake. And some of the things that Christians are being accused of being persecuted, they're not false things they're saying against them. They're true things. And it's not for his sake, it's often for your sake. But when you do go through true persecution... He'll weather the storm with you. He'll be your provision. And he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so as they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, they've done it before. They'll do it again. And wherever you find yourself in the process, God is there to walk with you on every step of the way. And so this message is cyclical. You've been poor, and he was provision. If you found yourself poor again, he'd be provision again. You know, we often mourn more than one loss in our lives, and he'll be the comfort again and again. Which means when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You were hungry before, and he filled you. Guess what? You'll be hungry again, and he'll fill you again. You came to the table once, and then you went on and you did what you had to do. Let hunger bring you back to the table, and he'll fill you again. Hunger is a cycle. Come on, I know you probably had three meals yesterday. You were hungry at breakfast, and by the time lunch came around, you were hungry again. And then by supper, you were hungry again. Hunger is a cycle. It's something that should drive us daily. How do we know that? Because David said in Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation, Salah. David recognized that there was a daily provision from the Father's table. Some of us are dining on last month's leftovers. Come on. David said, this is why we're not talking, it's not a church thing, it's an us thing. You come to church once a week, once a month, and once every four months, whatever the case may be, whatever the statistics are these days about church attendance, that's not enough. This is about what's going on in your heart every day. 
Is there a drive bringing you back to the table that when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you say is, God, I need you and I receive from you. Let you be my wisdom. Let you be my direction. Let you be my peace. All that I need, I know that you are and I receive liberally from you right now. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Come on, there's often a lot of foods that are only good when they're at the table and the leftovers just aren't quite the same, right? When it's fresh off the grill, it's like, man, that was yummy. The next day you're kind of like, yeah, it was better yesterday. (laughs) There's a hunger that should bring us to the table so that he can prepare a place for us in the presence of our enemies, that he can commission us and release us into the calling that he has for us, that he can empower you in the gift that he's placed on the inside of you, and it only happens at the table. And there are two factors that contribute to hunger. You want to know what they are? Okay, do you really want to know what they are? Time and activity time you put food in your body leave it long enough you'll be hungry again some of us had a good meal we thought it was good thank you father for what you've given then we did nothing with it and it sat in our belly it got digested but we never used it and eventually we find ourselves in the position of God I need something else It just doesn't feel like it used to, God. Why did I seem to feel this way when I was in church or whenever I'd pray or whenever I'd read my Bible? Why did did I used to feel that way? I need to get back to the way it used to be. You know, what happened is time. Time went on. And time will eventually lead to the necessity of hunger coming back. The second one is activity, though. When you have a good meal and you have a hard day's work, you know what comes back? Man, you come home hungry. It's like when you've been outside slugging wood all morning, it's like, I need to go and have two sandwiches and not just one because I've used what I took from the table earlier. And this is the hunger that should drive most of us. I came to the table, I partook of it, and I said, God, this was so great, I'm going to use the energy that I've got from this time with you, and I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to use the purpose that has been stirred up on the inside of me, I'm going to take it with me, and it's going to allow me to go out into the world and be a light to those around us. I'm going to use what you've given me, and the more you use, the hungrier you get. Like my mom used to always talk about how when, when the four, four, uh, three brothers, those four boys all together, that we used to eat a lot. But the reason for that is because we spent all day outside. We'd do, the sun would come up, we'd eat breakfast, we'd get on our bikes, and we'd be gone all day. And we'd come home hungry because we used what we had. And God is just saying, you know, when you come to my table, you can take of my food, take of everything I've got, then go use it. Go do something with it. And that's why the Bible says don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of also, we should take what we cut, get from the table and take it to the world who's never been to the table yet. Because as we give of what the Father has provided, it begins to stir a hunger in them to come to the table. 
So the activity that you do will also determine how hungry you get. The more you use, the hungrier you get. You know, John G. Lake told a story in his classic message, Spiritual Hunger, that he was up north, northern Michigan, with his family where they were living at the time, and they had just gotten a big dump of several feet of snow, and he decided, I'm going to go out for, for a snowshoe. And he just kept going and kept going and kept going, and by the time he got back to the house later that day, he left early in the morning, he'd covered like 30 miles in the snow while snowshoeing. And when he came home, he came into the house, and his wife wasn't there. They were all gone. They were out visiting people. And he's like, okay. So he, he kept going, and he went to his sister's house and got in there, and there was nobody there. But on the, the, the butcher block in her house was a big corn cake. And he's like, man, I am just so hungry. I've used everything I've got. He's like, I, I felt like I was at the point of starvation. And so he took that corn cake and he just started eating and he was like, oh, it's like the food had never tasted so good. It's like I needed it. And he's like, but it has a weird texture to it. But he just kept eating and he kept eating. Before he knew it, he had eaten the entire pan of corn cake. And not long after that, his wife and his sister came into the house and his sister was like, you didn't eat that, did you? He's like, yeah, why? He's like, it was kind of unusual. She says, that was a cow cake. It's like, that was like all the leftovers and chunks of corn cob. And he's like, how did you eat that? And he's like, I was just so hungry. I needed to put that something in. And we're like that when we use what God has given us at the table. Man, it's like, God, I just want more. I just, I need something more right now. I'm going to go ahead and put it on the inside because I hunger. And hunger builds anticipation. You know, we're just a few weeks out from Christmas, and I'm sure most of us were at a place where we probably had a family Christmas dinner or some sort of gathering, and as, as the, you, you're preparing for that meal, you can smell the turkey in the oven cooking, right? You, you're going through and you're seeing all these foods that you're preparing, and what's happening? Your hunger, anticipation is growing. And God wants to do that with our hunger for him in these days. Go ahead and say this. Say, I hunger. I hunger for more of you, Lord. I hunger to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I hunger for growth in this season, Lord. I hunger to see this world with new eyes. I hunger to hear your word with new ears. I hunger, and I thank you for it, Lord. Now, maybe you've been watching us today via the Internet, and you haven't even made your introduction with Jesus. Now is the time. Don't wait another moment. Right now is the time where you can step into the kingdom. You can have a seat at the Father's table, and you can partake until your heart is full. And we would love to pray with you right now. We say, Father, I ask for Jesus. I receive him into my life right now. I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I turn from all else. I sit down at your table, Father, and I say thank you. In Jesus' name.
you just prayed that prayer with us, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area, get some resources into your hands. And if you're in the Smith Falls area, we say welcome home. We would love to walk this journey together with you. But guys, whatever is going on in your life, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the hungry, because they'll be filled. Whatever situation you find yourself in, we would love to pray with you. We would love to believe with you. Our word care group's going to be right up here in just a moment. Don't leave church without believing God with someone else. If you want to give today, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give, or there's envelopes in your front seat in a basket at the back. Whatever you do, we just say thank you for partnering together with us. Go ahead and say it with me one more time. I hunger. What are you going to do about that hunger? You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you all soon.